You're listening to Malka Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Yes, sir. Welcoming a pious and sagacious uh, Umar uh, to the segment Wasail al-Alama Sadiqa, uh, Truthful News. And alhamdulillah, this evening uh, we will be uh, looking at uh, the new Pakistani chief. Yeah, the new chief. Uh, and uh, we will get to know how uh, uh, Pakistani's army chief, uh, Chief Asim Munir, his attitude and what type of individual he is and so forth. And we will be given a first-hand information from Najam Sets where he assesses the Pakistani chief. So I want you to sit back and enjoy this evening's edition of Truthful News. Bismillah. Hello and welcome to a special interview for The Wire. Yesterday, Pakistan appointed its new army chief, General Asim Munir. So today we ask, what do we know about General Munir in terms of his military background, his personality and character? What sort of relations does he have with Shehbaz and Nawaz Sharif? How will Imran Khan view this appointment and what impact would it have on Imran Khan's long march? And what will be General Munir's attitude to India? Joining me live from Lahore is one of Pakistan's foremost political commentators, the editor-in-chief of the Friday Times, and the former caretaker, chief minister of Pakistan's Punjab province, Najam Sethi. Mr. Sethi, let me start with that simple question. What do we know about Pakistan's new army chief, General Asim Munir? I know that he is the present quartermaster general, and we know that he's earlier served as director general of military intelligence and briefly as director general of the ISI. But what more can you tell us about General Munir? Well, not much is known about him. He's kept a very low profile, even as he's climbed the ladder in uh, in the army. Uh, he, I mean, the one thing that everybody talks about is that he's a half is a Quran, which means that um, as a child he learned uh, uh, to recite the Quran and learned all of it. Um, so that's as far as religious circles are concerned, uh, that's uh, a good quality to have. It's the first army chief to have this quality. Uh, beyond that, uh, what we know about him is that he's kept a very low profile uh, in the army. In fact, before he became DGISI, not much was known about him. He was never in the news. He kept a low profile. He's known to be a very straightforward soldier. Uh, and his reputation um, went to, you know, rose sky high when he was actually dismissed or shunted from the ISI on the orders of Imran Khan um, in 2019, I think. Uh, and um, uh, that is when it t- turned out that um, the man has an impeccable character and was bold enough to go to the prime minister to say that, look, uh, your Punjab government and your extended family are creating problems. Uh, there's corruption and you need to look into this, which Imran Khan didn't like and asked the army chief to remove him. It is the Prime Minister's prerogative to uh, appoint and to uh, transfer people from the ISI, uh, the head of the ISI. But what we also know about him is that he's had a good meritorious career. He won the uh, Sword of Honor uh, as a cadet, uh, which means that he's the first army chief uh, who has actually been uh, an an awardee of the Sword of Honor uh, at graduation. So that's a first Plus, the second first plus is that um, he's been in, uh, uh, he's done uh, an MPhil uh, in uh, from the National Defence College, 
where people go there uh, for various uh, upgradations and training and so on. But he has a master's in philosophy from there. And then, of course, uh, uh, he's done training stints in Malaysia and Japan uh, and elsewhere. Uh, so he's very, very, um, and of course, served in all important positions, Northern Command, so on and so forth, uh, as he went up the ladder. He's done his corps. He was Gujarwala Corps Commander. He was DGMI, as you pointed out, and then became DGISI, which is a double whammy as, as such, two important positions. Um, and uh, and then he, he was made Quartermaster General. Uh, after he left the ISI, he went to the, he, he became, and then um, uh, uh, he, he's now been the senior most, and so therefore uh, been appointed army chief. Can I pick up on some of the points you made? First, you mentioned that he is a Hafez e Quran, which means that he can recite the entire holy book. Does that suggest that he's religious minded and perhaps a fundamentalist, or is that going too far? <laughs> That's going too far. He's nothing of the sort, he's a modern man. And, um, you know, the, the Hafiz of Quran doesn't necessarily mean you're a, a religious fanatic or anything like that. This is part of our culture. And um, uh, and there are many people in this country who are Hafiz of Quran and don't necessarily sport beards and so on. So, no, that doesn't indicate anything. It just means that he's a conservative uh, person. Now, I gather that he is not a graduate of Pakistan's military academy. As you pointed out, he was the sort of honor graduate, but from the officer's training school, 85-86 batch in Mangla. Could this be a cause of some resentment amongst the generals who were vying for the same job but didn't get it? No, not at all, because this was a special dispensation that the army has uh, implemented from time to time. Uh, this was not the first uh, batch, as it were. Uh, and the idea was to get more uh, officers into the ranks and time was short so they compressed the two-year training at the military academy into a one-year intensive course um, and these were set up during certain periods of time uh, since 1947 this is not the first time it was the this OTS was implemented and no number of officers went into this to, to graduate uh, instead of two years in, in, in one year so no a number of other army chiefs have also been to through the OTS system now, let's talk about what you believe will be General Munir's attitude to India. First of all, will he stand by the 2003 ceasefire on the LOC, which General Bajwa reinforced in the early part of last year? Will General Munir continue with that commitment and scrupulously maintain the ceasefire? Absolutely. I think uh, you will find that in terms of foreign policy initiatives that were taken during General Bajwa's time, whether it's India, the United States, Afghanistan, and so on and so forth, there'll be a lot of continuity. I don't think uh, there is going to be any issue regarding the ceasefire. Indeed, my sense is that Imran Khan and General Bajwa's group in the Army High Command had agreed to soften up with India and to at least open trade with India. And then Imran Khan backed out at, at the last minute. And when General Bajwa began to talk about geoeconomics rather than geostrategy as being the fundamental driving force for the future of Pakistan. Um, this was state, uh, a strategy that was agreed uh, in the higher echelons of the army. And now the army and General Bajwa and others are going, uh, you know, are at pains to point out that many of those decisions, including the one to step back from 
political engineering and political interventions are going to be are going to be retained and that the new crop of army officers that general bajwa and his colleagues promoted um, in the last uh, six months uh, are all geared towards the new uh, dimensional approach so i think uh, uh, if anything if anything there is there may be a thaw a slight thaw um, in india pakistan relations if imran khan uh, doesn't meddle in it and create a problem for the government i think the army is keen to stitch up borders and to reduce conflict across borders so that we can focus on internal issues you know terrorism is uh, from across afghanistan is uh, rearing its head again and uh, so therefore focus needs to be given to internal issues rather than this external problems with india i don't think india need uh, think about too seriously about any issues of, from pakistan side you're suggesting that in fact the bajwa line in terms of geo economics the bajwa line that you talked of as a small start fledgling thaw with india will be continued and perhaps taken further by general munir he's very much part of that same line of thinking you're suggesting i'm suggesting yes there is a consensus uh, in the higher echelons of the army that uh, we need to focus on internal issues we need to step out of politics and if possible we need to try and normalize however imperceptibly what we need to normalize relations with india uh, of course the other issues stand in the way of that and politicians tend to exploit that if anybody makes a takes a first step towards normalizing anything with india um, the opposition steps in and creates a ruckus about abandoning the cause of kashmir and so on and so forth but within those constraints it is entirely possible that uh, uh, there may be some uh, new initiatives i can't say because i don't know how imran khan will react to those uh, imran has not missed any opportunity uh, to to undermine the government and so therefore obviously shabash sharif is a very cautious prime minister uh, so that may not happen but what i'm trying to say is this that uh, uh, the spirit the, the thinking is that if possible we should try and do something along that line now i noticed that general munir was dg isi during the pulwama balakot incident of 2019 and i gather that he was involved in negotiating the release of the indian air force pilot who came down on your side of the border if that is true and i'm reliably told it is true what would that suggest about general munir's attitude to india be pragmatic realistic on the ground feet on the ground ideology taking a back seat pragmatism in the front now this suggests that comments in the indian media which emerged last night and this morning that general munir would be more hardline than general bajwa towards india you don't necessarily believe and accept those no i think uh, the lead will have to come from the government of the day and my sense is that given the thinking in the army high command that i've just mentioned if the government of the day is ready to move i don't think the there will be resistance from the pakistan army including general uh, munir let's come to what i think are two controversies that surround the appointment of general munir the first is the fact that though he was the senior most general he's due to retire on the 27th of november but now he's been appointed and promoted to take over a job which only becomes vacant on the 29th in other words he's been promoted for a job which he takes over two days after he technically retires how did the government finesse this there's no finesse required it's happened before uh three star generals were promoted to four star 
as army designates, uh, army chief designates, uh, with a view to making them uh, the army chief. And the uh, notifications were duly issued with the provision that this was in effect from the date of retirement of the incumbent. So General Jaghi Karamat retired, um, was appointed army chief eight or nine days before uh, his, uh, the, the existing and the army chief at that time was due to retire, General Waheed. So no, there is no legal issue on this. There, there was only one hitch, which is of course that you have to promote the three star to a four star uh, before you can appoint him army chief. So, but you can also do it simultaneously. You can uh, uh, say that, okay, we're promoting you to four star before your date of retirement. And we are appointing you army chief with effect from the date of retirement of the next guy, which is eight, seven, four, five days. So all that is done, has been done before and not an issue. To Just to finish this off, the issue only was how long the president would take to sign off on the advice of the prime minister, which is the constitutional position. And since the time frame was so short, uh, the appointment is on the 25th with, and, uh, the, and the takeover has to be on the 29th. Uh, when both the chief, the coming incoming chief and the outgoing chief have to exchange their swords and all the rest of it in a formal ceremony, hand over, take over, the baton as it were. Um, the fear was that Imran Khan might tell the president, his president, who is also the president of Pakistan, President Alvi, to sit on the advice and not issue the notification, which he can theoretically do for 10 or 15 days as per the constitution. He can even send somebody back to the prime minister to say, have another look at it. He cannot reject it, but he can delay the signing. And the fear was that if he did that, we would enter into a, a dark zone constitutionally because this has never happened before. And then what would happen? You have an army chief who's retiring on the 29th. You have an army chief who's going to supposedly supposed to take over, but pending a notification by the president and the president is sitting on it and the 29th passes, then what happens? So there were some issues related to what might happen, what could happen, and that was creating the, the uncertainty uh, everywhere about what Imran Khan's intentions were. But at the end of the day, uh, I think Imran saw the writing on the wall that delaying is not going to resolve any issues, time to mend fences. And so he told the president to go ahead and sign, which is what some of us had predicted would happen. At the end of the day, everything would be smoothly done. After he received the notification from the government that they wanted to make General Munir the new army chief, travelled to Lahore to meet Imran Khan and consult him. Given that Imran Khan is not part of the government, he's actually part of the opposition, was this constitutionally appropriate behaviour on the part of President Arvi? Well, you know, the, prior to this, Imran Khan has been shouting, crying himself hoarse, saying, why did Prime Minister Shabazz Sharif fly to London to consult Nawaz Sharif on the appointment of the Army Chief? According to Imran, Nawaz Sharif is a convict, he's an esconder, and how come the Prime Minister of Pakistan is going to London to seek consultations with him? And so, uh, so but, you know, Nawaz Sharif is not even formerly the head of the Muslim League, that he's been stripped of that too. But de facto, he is Nawaz Sharif, he is the head of the party, the vote belongs to him, and so on. And Shabazz is his nominee in government. So, now when it came to this, I think Imran thought, well, now's the time, to, the boot should be on the other foot. The president is from my party, I'll get, tell him to come here, seek my approval. <laughs> so the president flew from Islamabad to have a 45-minute formal chat so that Imran Khan could say, yes, he consulted me and I have given my approval.
uh, much in the same fashion that Nawaz Sharif gave his approval to the Prime Minister. So the, we have, we are in that. No, but what about my point? Is it constitutionally proper for the President to consult a leader of the opposition? The Prime President can consult anyone he likes. There's nothing in okay. the Constitution to stop him from doing that. Let me then come to the second controversy. And it's one that, in a sense, you've spoken about earlier. It's the relationship that General Munir will have with Imran Khan. As you mentioned, when General Munir was DGISI, he brought to Imran Khan's notice that there were allegations of corruption against Imran Khan's wife, Bushra Sikh, as well as her relatives. As a result, Imran Khan had him transferred and he only served as DGISI for roughly nine months or maybe even less. Does this mean, A, that General Munir will have a certain grudge against Imran Khan and be anti-Imran Khan. And secondly, does it also mean that Imran Khan, although he's accepted this, will nonetheless not be happy with the new army chief? There's no <clears throat> doubting the fact that Imran has tried his level best, uh, getting his social media trolls to target General Munir and others. Uh, he didn't want General Munir. Everybody knew that. And I think partly for the same reason. Nawaz Sharif and Shabazz Sharif said, we must have this man. At least uh, we'll have somebody out there who really isn't Imran Khan's hot favorite. Because the choice was between Imran Khan's hot favorite, uh, General Affairs, uh, that is where the controversy originally arose, and somebody who's uh, neutral in that sense. So, yes, Asim Mani's, uh Reputation was that he's the one who went and upset Imran Khan and Imran Khan had him removed. So he might hold a grudge against him. My sense is that, you know, these things at the end of the day, they may exist, but they don't really matter. These personal grudges and so on and so forth. When you are the army chief, you're nobody's man. You don't hold a love and there's no love lost between A or B or C or D. I mean, our history shows that prime ministers who've handpicked army chiefs because they thought they would be good for them or tilted towards them, in the end ended up removing them from power. Nawaz Sharif has tasted this several times. Other army chiefs have also ended up uh, removing prime ministers and presidents in this country who nominated them, appointed them, handpicked them. So, you know, the army chief is his own man at the end of the day. His loyalty is to his institution and to the country, the way they define it. And, uh, and so, therefore, I don't really think this is going to matter too much. You're also saying, aren't you, by implication, that Nawaz Sharif and Shahbaz Sharif, who chose uh, General Munir because they believed that he would keep Imran Khan in some sort of check, can't be absolutely certain they've got a yes man. Army chiefs become their own person. The job and authority that they occupy gives them the power to be independent. And therefore, even though the Sharifs have appointed Munir and insisted that they wanted him, Nonetheless, this doesn't mean that Munir will be their yes man as army chief. It doesn't mean that at all. In fact, if I may make bold to make a statement, the more somebody handpicks an army chief, a prime minister, the more that person comes under pressure from his own institution, from the media, from the judiciary and others, and civil society, to be his own man. No army chief can afford to be, afford to be seen as a stooge of uh, a prime minister. That's the way it has been in this country. Uh, in, because the army is constantly in, in, intervening in, in politics. And uh, and so therefore, uh, army chiefs tend to be their own people, own persons. Current situation is that the army seems to have 
taken an institutional decision. This is what General Bajwa emphasized earlier and now in his parting speech, that we are going to withdraw from intervening in politics. And in fact, he made a very profound statement. He said, since February of this year, we have decided to not to intervene in politics and become neutral and withdraw it as it were, which is another way of saying that just before February of 19 of 2022, we were doing all sorts of things. <laughs> so, you know, uh, that is what has stayed from, from that particular speech. So, I think Asim Munir is going to follow that. Uh, that, that That's the critical thing. You are fairly certain that Asim Munir will follow that line, that he will follow the line made public by General Bajwa. And I'm quoting General Bajwa, the army has decided not to interfere in any political matter. And then General Bajwa added, I assure you, we are adamant on this and will remain so. That, again, is the line you're saying Asim Munir is committed to. Yeah, but you see, again, there's a problem with this commitment. If the politicians can't get their act together, if they're at each other's throats, if the economy begins to suffer, if parliament is deadlocked, if there is an ongoing economic and political crisis which parliamentarians, opposition and government can't sit together in, in, in parliament and sort out, and if they're constantly rushing to the judiciary to intervene, and behind the scenes once again start approaching the army to help, then what is, then what is going to happen? So you see, this is a great commitment on paper. But at the end of the day, we have to wait and see how politics develops in Pakistan, whether there's truth and reconciliation and uh, some rules of the game are established, or whether politicians will continue uh, to try and bring each other, uh, the each party down, and in that course, end up going back to GHQ for help. If the politicians me, do that, then they'll let be... Interrupt. Let me interrupt. We may not have to wait very long for that test to face General Munir's army chief. After all, Imran Khan's long march is destined to reach Islamabad Rawalpindi on the 26th Saturday, that is tomorrow. He then plans to hold a huge rally there, about which people have had apprehensions for... When we interviewed General Durrani about 10 days ago, he said, and he's a former Director General of ISI, that his hunch was that the army would seek to prevent or preempt Imran's march reaching either Rawalpindi or Islamabad, or at least entering the sensitive parts of the capital. Do you think General Munir would be inclined to do that sort of thing, to preempt or to stop the march entering sensitive parts of Islamabad? I think that's already happened. Behind the scenes, there's an understanding between government, army and Imran Khan. And I think it's part of that understanding whereby now Imran Khan has had to accept Rasim Munir as uh, army chief. And the government has had to accept uh, somebody who's supposed to be tilted towards Imran, uh, General Sahar Shamshad, the chairman, joint chiefs of staff. So there's been a compromise behind the scenes, number one. Number two, uh, I think the current situation reflects that the compromise included Arif Arbi Sahab, the president, signing on the dotted line without any delay. It also includes, I think, the fact that Imran Khan uh, will not create any problems uh, in his long march dharna and will wrap up and go home so that government can get on with the job of running this country and he has to go home and bide his time. I think that understanding has taken place. Let me just say that Imran Khan is, the PTI has now announced that we have, our rally is going to be one day only. We'll consider extending it 
uh, in due course. But right now, the permission is only for one day, and number one. Number two, it's going to be held at a park, which is on the northern border of uh, uh, Islamabad, nowhere near Islamabad, but quite far away from GHQ, which where the original fear was that Imran might turn his uh, long marches towards Rawalpindi and GHQ. So it's a really in no man's land. So I think that's the understanding that, okay, carry on, you got permission, now wrap up, go home, and you know get back into politics, which is constitutional. So the apprehensions and even fears that the rally could turn into a long dharna or that there could be violence at the rally. Those have now dissipated. Imran has agreed behind the scenes it will be a one-day rally. There will be no trouble, no violence. And when the rally is over, he'll go home. And the rally will be on the northern borders of Islamabad, far away from general headquarters in Rawalpindi. There will be, therefore, no tension and trouble tomorrow, Saturday, when Imran reaches Islamabad and the rally is held. Yeah, I can confirm that uh, an independent source uh, confirms this. Uh, two days ago, the British High Commissioner Christian Turner and the Chairman of the Pakistan Cricket Board, Ramiz Raja, called on Imran Khan in his house in Lahore and told him that the England cricket team is arriving on the 27th and they are scheduled to play a test match in Rawalpindi um, in the stadium there. And <laughs> wondered whether the long march and others might create problems for them. And Imran told them, relax, go ahead, nothing. there's going to be no trouble, no nothing. And uh, so get on with it. Okay, tell me a little bit about General Sahil Shamshad Mirza. You briefly said that he was Imran's man, if I heard you correctly. Now, he is the new chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Earlier, he was Corps Commander Rawal Pindi. What sort of person is he and what makes you think he tilts in favor of Imran? No, he's not Imran's man. I mean, I didn't want to convey that impression. I said the assumption there was a perception that he might be tilted a little bit toward Imran's perspective. Because don't forget, a lot of people in the armed forces uh, support Imran Khan as a political leader. And come next elections, likely vote for him. So there's a lot of sympathy for Imran Khan. Uh, but of course, at the highest level, you don't dem demonstrate that. Uh, because, of course, that would be incorrect. And so the assumption was that maybe Sahir Shamshad might be a little pro-Imran and so on and so forth. But I think in his role as the Chairman Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, it will be a very neutral role. Uh, in any case, the Chairman Joint Chiefs of Staff is, uh, is not a powerful position. Uh, the only significant thing about this particular slot is that uh, the Chairman Joint Chiefs of Staff chairs the, uh, the special projects uh, division, uh, which is of course the nuclear program and uh, so on and so forth, strategic issues, uh, which are where all the chiefs get together to discuss things. But beyond that, it's a, a, a sort of a sinecure of formality. In the old days, this used to be a position that rotated amongst the three services. So three years you had a Navy chief promoted to the chairman joint chiefs and then the Air Force and then the Army. But in recent years, the Army has basically hogged this position. So I don't think there's going to be any issue there. He's a fine soldier and uh, will play a, a, a moderating role uh, as is due his post. I want to raise one more issue with you and it could become a concern for General Munir when he begins to function as the new Chief of Army Staff. As you know, a couple of days ago, a Pakistani journalist called Ahmed Nurani on his website Fact Focus published General Bajwa's tax returns 
as well as those of General Bajwa's wife and General Bajwa's daughter-in-law. And Mr. Nurani claimed that during the last six years, those are the six years when General Bajwa was army chief, the Bajwa family has accumulated assets worth more than 12.7 billion rupees. Immediately, as that website went with this information, it was blocked, presumably blocked by the Pakistan authorities. And shortly thereafter, the finance minister announced an immediate inquiry to report back in 24 hours on how the leak of the Bajwa tax returns had happened. Does that suggest that these tax returns are authentic and real and that the allegation that the family has made 12.7 billion rupees in six years is also true? I would, would like to say three or four things here. Number one, this is a, a scoop of the century. Um, make no mistake about it. It's very rare that details of uh, senior government positions and uh, especially army chiefs are made public like this. And the journalist in question, uh, Ahmed Durrani uh, and Osman Manzoor, uh, they've done a fantastic job uh, pulling all these details out. Of course, uh, the government and the army will now try and find out how they did so and how these tax returns, which are secret, uh, ended up uh, with them. Now, that's the first thing. So they did a fantastic job. The second thing is that um, uh, there's been uh, no denial uh, from the army chief or his family members about the uh, facts pointed out in these returns. But actually, it's difficult to say that they are not right because they are lodged with the Federal Bureau. Of so they've taken from the tax records, which are not meant to be public, but they've got access to it. So yes, I mean, uh, there's been no denial. And the third thing is, of course, that um, um, it has been damaging uh, to General Bajwa's legacy. Uh, he was hoping that he would leave this uh, post uh, having uh, opened up the route to, a new, to, to new elections and not asked for an extension. Uh, he was hoping that he would bring Imran Khan back into parliament and perhaps uh, sort out some of the remaining political problems that have come from the, his political interventions in the past. But he wasn't able to do that. Uh, nonetheless, uh, he played a major role in, in resolving many issues relating to the economy uh, and so on. Uh, if he had, if this, he was already a controversial figure because Imran Khan had made him such. And it would have been difficult for him to go out in public without facing uh, harassment or booing from PTI people. Uh, but uh, this particular revelation uh, has really undermined his credibility and has cast a, a new shadow, shall we say, over him. So now when you hear people will start assessing his legacy and his issues, this will figure majorly in it. I assume that these are leaks that were made available to Mr. Nurani from inside the army. And if that's right, does it suggest that the army is divided or it has at least serious differences over the issue of General Bajwa? Well, you know, there is a uh, perception that uh, records such as these are not easy to get hold of and that uh, uh, perhaps these leaks were inspired. But talking to Ahmed Durrani, who has been at pains to point out that there be, he and his team have been working on this uh, project of theirs for several years and that they, this is not a leak from the army, but this is their attempt to dig out uh, some records. 
So they may have moles inside the Federal Bureau of uh, Revenue and so on, uh, which is the impression that they're trying to convey. And the government has recently also made a statement saying we are looking at various tax officials who had access to this data to find out whether they are the ones who uh, pulled it out uh, and uh, uh, facilitated uh, Ahmed Durrani. But the fact is that Mr. Durrani is at pains to point out that this is not a leak. This is something they extracted uh, by diligence and by hard work and by their moles uh, and so on. So that theory that perhaps somebody in the ISI who doesn't like General Bajwa uh, or uh, has done this, uh, the journalists have said that that's not the case. Tell me, is this a one-off or could there be more leaks both to do with General Bajwa and possibly to do with other prominent people, whether they're in the army or whether they're civilian politicians? In other words, is there more to come? Could be. I don't know. Uh, this particular group of journalists, some of whom had to go into exile because they were hounded by General Bajwa's people uh, and the previous regime's people, um, are determined to dig out uh, facts such as these. That's why they call themselves fact focus, And they're based in the United States. And they have long arms, a uh, lot of colleagues in sensitive media positions. And so their uh, claim is that, look, we are uh, working on these projects in the public interest and we will carry on doing so. So, I mean, they say that they've been working on this project for several years. Uh, and so and this is how they finally come up with it. Prior to this, they've also done other things. They came up with details of the properties owned by another general. Uh, Asim Bajwa. Asim Bajwa. Uh, and so, and there was very little he could do. He could deny me most of it. Uh, so, yes, I, uh, I think they have uh, good moles and they're uh, uh, determined to pull out scoops such as this. And good luck to them. What are the consequences for General Bajwa, I know that this has badly damaged his legacy, but beyond that, could there be some form of punishment that he faces? Or is it fairly common for Pakistani army chiefs and senior generals to acquire illegitimate wealth and get away with it? The question is not of illegitimate wealth. See, if the wealth were illegitimate, it wouldn't have been declared in their tax returns. The tax returns were revised and revised and so on and so forth constantly. Uh, as the accumulation process went on. But the army chief has enormous powers um, uh, to gift or to uh, create conditions which are legal on paper for the acquisition of assets uh, by himself or by uh, others close to him, lots of land and so on and so forth. So the previous army chief, General Raheel, when he left, uh, the media just came up and said, look, it seems that Again, I think facts and focus had a role to play, that he had accumulated or given himself lots of land uh, worth 3 million rupees. That was the figure quoted at that time. Uh, because, you know, the army is in possession of vast acres of land, uh, which they've acquired legally for various purposes. Uh, those purposes are not always met, but the land is then distributed amongst uh, martyrs, their families, officers who won awards, and so on and so forth. And then, of course, there are quotas for every army officer in Pakistan that during a term of service, he, he can acquire uh, 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 plots of land from the army's quota of, of land at throwaway prices. Uh, this can is I... a way of compensating for the low salaries that uh, these 
uh, officers get during their term of tenure. Can I ask you a question there? You said this is not necessarily or maybe not at all illegitimate wealth. The army has quarters, the army chief has access to a lot of land, which, as you said, may have been intended for other purposes, but to use your phrase again, he can gift it to himself. Now, to non-Pakistanis, it may not be illegitimate, but it still feels as if it's improper that the land or the quarters were meant for other purposes, maybe for martyrs, maybe for other army development purposes. But the army chief has the power to legitimately gift it to himself and therefore become richer and richer and richer. Even if it's not illegitimate, it does feel it sound improper. And clearly, in a country that says it's a democracy, is morally wrong. Absolutely. There's no two ways about it. You're so right. That is the perception of the people of Pakistan that enough is enough. You guys have been, you know, giving and gifting yourselves uh, valuable land, uh, which has been taken away from peasants and throw away at sort of cheap rock bottom prices, converted into cantonments and defense housing societies, uh, which are supposedly for the welfare uh, of army officers uh, after retirement. Uh, but at the end of the day, you end up giving top people end up giving these things to their own relatives and so on and so forth. So, yes, it is immoral. There should be accountability and uh, such powers should be taken away from uh, from, from army chiefs and uh, GHQs. But here's the problem. The army in Pakistan is a vast empire. It's a huge business empire. Ostensibly, the aim of that business empire is the welfare of army of soldiers, officers, retired and serving. Which is why as soon as some of these generals who've been uh, uh, superseded may, may now ask for an early retirement, but they will immediately get sinecures in the army's vast empire of industries and commercial outlets and so on and so forth, uh, in addition to being compensated for, shall we say, loss uh, for by being given all sorts of valuable plots of land. The assumption here is that, at least this is what we've been told, that when a Lieutenant General at the rank of an army chief retires. He is at least three to four billion rupees richer than when he became army chief. And I think uh, in General Bajwa's case, uh, we still don't know the full details. Uh, uh, maybe more will come out. But uh, 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 we still don't know how many uh, plots of land he's given himself. That detail will come out in 2022, uh, if at all it comes out, uh, because these are closely guarded uh, secrets in GHQ. The army is a, <laughs> is a state within a state and therefore has no accountability because of the way politicians have handled Pakistan uh, and constantly run to the army for help. They have become very powerful and not just politically powerful, but economically as well. Their industries and their commercial concerns get special facilities and subsidies and tax exemptions and so on and so forth, uh, all for the welfare of the soldier. General Asim Munir, the new army chief, is a Hafizi Quran, a man who knows the Quran by heart and therefore understands the Quran and presumably is committed to the principles and values of the Quran. He's also a former DGISI who went to the prime minister who was Imran Khan and said, Sir, these are the details of corruption done by your wife and her relatives. Will he now, fully aware of what you just described, clean out what I'm calling the Orgean stables of the army and say, listen, this can't carry on. We are a democracy. This is wrong. It has to stop. Will he take that step? Or is he 
himself compromised because he also has been the beneficiary of some of this largesse. My sense is he's going to put a stop to a lot of this. Um, he's known to be a conservative and upright soldier. And there are no scandals attached to him. And if he goes by half of the teachings of the Quran, then I think he's likely to do what you're asking him to do, or you think he might want to do. Uh, be morally defended, uh, morally upright, and ensure that uh, injustice is not done and inequality is not fostered. Uh, you see, before, 10 years ago, this was not the case. All that the army, retiring army chief could expect was one duty-free car, the provision to import a duty-free car. Most of them imported Mercedes, didn't pay any duties. That was a provision. And maybe three, three plots of land. A commercial plot, a residential plot, because obviously they have to go and live somewhere. They were told, okay, uh, maybe we'll give you a plot of land so you can build your house. Because during their tenure, they've been all over the place in messes. And, and you know, so this was a provision. And until 19, until the 10 years ago, we didn't hear of any such big scandals. Uh, but of late, uh, this has begun to happen. And I hope General Asimani will put a stop to it. Three plots of land and an imported duty-free Mercedes. You're going to make Indian Army chiefs pea green with jealousy. But my very last question, if General Munir does set out to stop this, to clear out and clean out the OGN stables, I take it he would face very vicious resistance from other generals who would like it to continue because they benefit. So is he going to have a problem in the army as he tries to clean the place up? The army chief is, after God, the army chief is almighty. <laughs> and no one dare resist the orders of the army chief. His first acts will be to move various generals from one position to another and consolidate like-minded people who will support his policies. In the next six months, a year, he will be busy doing all that, which is what every army chief does. He inherits people handpicked by others, then slowly moves them around, brings in people he's more comfortable with, who share his outlook. So my sense is that uh, uh, there will not be much resistance. There's some resistance, definitely. But I think at the end of the day, his word will carry. And uh, now since we know that all good deeds and bad deeds are reported in the media, and so far only good deeds of uh, General Asif have been reported, like his being upright and going to Imran Khan and saying, look, I mean, you know, sir, this is happening, sir, it's in our interest not to do this, sir, can you put a stop, blah, blah, or whatever, however delicately he put it. But uh, the fact is he did it. Uh, and so therefore, we expect that uh, he will... Um, he will be upright and he will lead by example, not just within the forces, but outside as well. Najam Sethi, thank you very much. Yes, uh, people, uh, there you have it, uh, General uh, Asim uh, Munir. And uh, yeah, get to know the insight of the Pakistani army and how uh, even uh, General Bajwa, yeah, may someone say so is Gajwa. But uh, yeah, this is uh, how the uh, Pakistani army worked at that time when they got uh, uh, their retirement and when they left, uh, you know, they were allowed uh, to import a Mercedes-Benz. They were given uh, one land for farming, one land for business and another land uh, to build their homes and so forth. And, uh, you know, many things happened. And then uh, we learned uh, a lot of uh, stories about uh, General Asim Munir, where he is, uh, you know, Alhamdulillah, Hafiz al-Quran, number one. Uh, many say he is a forthright man. He spent uh, so many years in uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, 
doing his stint there also. And uh, then uh, maybe, and he, uh, according to uh, our uh, brother said here, uh, that he will uh, actually clean up the army. And he's a man of, uh, uh, you know, taqwa, inshallah. And maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala set him up uh, for being there for this reason, so that he can clear up the army and they can be honest. And, uh, you know, another situation that we are learning from uh, the interview was also that uh, Pakistan presently is uh, faced with a crisis. Uh, if uh, the uh, political parties uh, that are there, they cannot uh, get their acts together or they cannot work together. And uh, perhaps uh, the army will slowly set in and come and uh, take over. And in the meantime, as Imran Khan uh, recovers, uh, you know, got time to think about uh, what's going to happen. But it is uh, believed that he's going to remove himself from uh, being official opposition and so forth. So that will be that uh, uh, maybe an early election will be called in Pakistan. And uh, Imran Khan is uh, sure and is uh, confident that his party will win the elections and so forth. But... Uh, yeah, what happens if the president or the chief of the army, uh, you know, General Lieutenant uh, Asim Mudir decides, no, 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 you all can't uh, get your act together, you can't do this in, in previous cases where the army had taken over uh, the running of the country and so forth. So uh, Pakistan is at a yeah precipice, right on the cliff, right on the edge. What's going to happen, people? But we hope and pray that... Uh, Everything comes right. And <clears throat> I remember, I remember Sheikh Ahmadi, that's Rahimullah, talking about Pakistan. And he, you know, when he was addressing them, and at that time, uh, uh, President uh, General Ziaul Haq was alive. And Ahmadi, that said, you know, you Pakistanis are some of the most fittest people on earth. You have a powerful army. You have everything going for you. The only thing you need to do is get your priorities right and, you know, focus on your religion and implement the laws of the Quran, implement Sharia, and then you'll be the winners. You'll win. And, uh, you know, to a, le a lesser extent, Imran Khan has been trying uh, that to his level best, and uh, whatever he did, he brought in Allah, and he spoke about a Nabi, uh, he even motivated the, the youth of uh, Pakistan to get into that mode of uh, obeying Allah and obeying his messenger, and he wanted to bring in uh, the model of uh, Medina, back to Medina, and he was on his way up. You know, many things were happening. But suddenly, as you saw, everything, you know, Allah, Allah knows why he allowed that to happen. And then you find that, yeah, the pretext was made because, oh, you went to Russia and you went to get oil and you went to get gas at a reduced price. And uh, just a blink of an eye, Imran Khan was moved, uh, removed. And then uh, you see that uh, the new government, yeah, the... Uh, and uh, he, he, the new government actually have gone to uh, Russia and have asked Putin, you know, to give them uh, oil and gas at a reduced price. And what uh, Putin told them, no, I'm sorry, man. Uh, we are fully booked and uh, we're only taking huge orders. And, you know, where the orders are going. And this is what's happening. And now, maybe... That's uh, a retribution for this new government. But who suffer, uh, suffers in the end are the people. And that is a tragedy of the whole thing. May Allah make it easy for everyone that are living in this dunya and maybe be saved from the fitna and facade of these people that are really making life miserable for mankind and at the same time taking away 
the iman of you know, our young people and, and all this are being diluted. So, uh, inshallah, you're going to have a brilliant evening. I want to thank uh, Lucolo for, being, uh, for doing a brilliant engineering and uh, keep it locked on to uh, Marka Sahaba for beautiful programming and our lovely nasheeds interspersed. From the team and I, till we meet you again, we bid you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.